Hello, and and welcome to our uh, podcast extra. Where um, uh, I just want to make one actual correction of something that I um, that I said in the last one, uh, where I talked about I I, I dedicated it to uh, Ralph Clemente. So it wasn't just C for Carpenter, but it was C for Clemente as well. And um, uh, when I was talking about some of his students. Um, I was talking about the, the guys from the Blair Witch Project, and I talked about uh, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, but I realized I actually said Rick Hell, where I actually meant Greg Hell. Okay, so oh apologies. My. Occasionally, I get a name or a date or something wrong when doing these things. It's just the nature of uh, the way the mind goes sometimes. Um, when it's not scripted and it's off the cuff. So apologies for that. Don't worry about because in the last podcast extra, I said uh, James Hofwatt when I was supposed to say Alan Hofwatt, okay. as in the composer who works with uh, John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we we, we, do, we record these things live. They're not rehearsed. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite bad, actually, at, uh, at sometimes making notes of things. I, I sort of do it off the top of my head. And as a result... You know, it's sometimes how I remember things or there is the odd fact that's wrong or date that's wrong or occasionally a name that's wrong. And as I said, I realized when I heard it back, I was like, oh, my God, I meant to say Greg Hale was the student at Valencia College that went on to produce the Blair Witch Project and still producing stuff. Now, I think VHS he was involved in. Um, so okay. I'm sure that he's listening and he's most upset that I got his name wrong, but has now <laughs> put it right. So uh, so there you go. That That's just a little footnote to the last podcast. Wow. Alan Hofwart is, you know, he's blissfully unaware. No, absolutely. <laughs> the, the, the other thing, yeah, of course. The other thing I wanted to say, actually, about Ralph, I know I said loads. And again, it was kind of off the cuff last time. But uh, one yeah. of the things I totally failed to mention um, uh, when I was talking about Ralph was, you know, he was a big one for for catchphrases as well. And definitely in his accent, they used to, to catch on and he'd always be, you know, much like you said in an earlier podcast about, you know, the industry being about selling yourself and marketing and yeah. whatever. He used to say, you know, do the schmooze. He was always about the schmooze and schmoozing <laughs> and all this. And he used to call the kit shtick and sort of say it was just the, you know, it was just the technology but you know the, the real creative stuff w was more important and all those sort of things but his main catchphrase was treat yourself he always said that he used to say treat yourself to this treat yourself to that and and nutter david nutter who we talked in some length about does incorporate this in a lot of his um tv shows he'll try and get the line treat yourself in there on quite oh, a few okay. of them i think um probably uh, fox Mulder was the first character to say it and uh, that's oh, okay. a little homage to Ralph. And I have to say, four out of my six short films uh, feature the line, treat yourself. Uh, if it's appropriate and it's not too winky and or distracting and it's appropriate to the story, <laughs> I do like to try and throw those little Easter eggs in there. So treat yourself, oh, wow. Ralph. I'll... Hopefully he's treating himself now up in the uh, up in the big studio in the sky, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I... I'll have to go back and watch your films now just for that to see if, uh, what characters say that. <laughs> it, is, it's, it is like a, a nice little um, Easter egg that you get with some, some directors, especially like Landis with uh, See You Next Wednesday. Exactly, exactly. And Michael yeah. Mann's got, um, uh, what's his one? Um, oh, I should know this. I, uh, being a man, I, I, he has loads of ones. He has like always somebody standing 
in front of uh, the sea. <laughs> yeah, there is a saying. Right? Um, oh, oh right. It will come to me. It will come to me. Oh, See, God, this is I, this is what no, I mean I about forgetting and getting things yeah. wrong. I've totally yeah. balled that up already. So there you go. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so I do try and throw them in if they're not too distracting. Obviously, it was very difficult to get it into fear view, so I wasn't able to. <laughs> oh, right. But uh, but yeah, if it, if it works, I try and get it in there as a, as a, as oh, my brilliant. homage to Ralph. <laughs> so. And also a reason now to go and check Key Files' uh, YouTube page. Just oh, well, obviously. Little Easter eggs. Obviously, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I've realised, you know, I've put, I've put six films on there, short films, which were done between 1999 and, and just a couple of years ago, the, one, the ones that have done so far. Hmm. And if you were to watch everything, all those films, they come to an, an hour. It's an hour of someone's time. But it, it makes me think, my God, you know, all that work and all those years that I've only created an hour of, of material. What the hell, you know? <laughs> so oh, it's all quality. adding to it. Well, I like to think quality, not quantity, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll let other people be the judge of that, I think. <laughs> anyway, but that leads us quite nicely into uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. And that's kind of reminiscing about our, our days in the um, in the trenches when we were working on like our low budget films um which i consider to be my proper education in, in the film industry wow in the film business um, we do loads of so reminiscing don't we i like this <laughs> we do well th with these extras we we get to talk about ourselves and uh and what our experience has been like working within this industry that we love and sometimes hate but mostly love um so um yes yeah, so 98 um i came out of panico and um I, I walked straight into uh a production that was uh crewing and so i was very fresh-faced and um what happened was we had done an exercise where we had worked as crew on other people's little scenes and then directed the scene ourselves we did this for a whole day we had a professional dop but uh, everybody else would take up uh, a member of the the crew, and um, we were watching the rushes. And um, my tutor Bob Doyle said, "Watch this," and you see this the microphone come in, and then come back out again, and and everybody laughed. And he said, "No, no, that is a really good sound recorder. That's a good boom operator there. Just happened to be me holding that boom." So. Um, I spoke to Bob about it and he said, well, you know, why don't you try being a sound recordist or go out as a boom operator and be a sound assistant and, you know, get in that way. And so there was a job advertised looking for a boom operator and I applied. And um, I remember the phone call. I was so, you know, sort of nervous about making this phone call. I, I, it took me half an hour just to get the courage to to ring this number and talk to this the, the producer and um she was lovely um and she was very happy for me to come on board i told her up front that i had no experience that i'd only just come out of doing uh, uh panico which wasn't even a film school it was just a, a like a, a crash course in filmmaking but she was very happy to to have me on board and then of course i realized why she was happy to have me on board because it wasn't going to cost her anything to have me there <laughs> if anything yeah. that was the first film 
where I realized you've got to get your expenses. This this woman did not pay a penny for travel expenses. At the time, um, I had a car. And so, you know, it would always cost me petrol to sort of travel. And um, I have to say that first short was it was a trial by fire. Um, I had a really tough time on it. And what it came down to was that uh, the DOP on there, um, he was, he was, he, he comes off commercials and he, he was used to having a lot of time to light stuff. So we were in these locations and he was taking forever to light it. And then suddenly we had to go, we had to shoot it because we're going to be kicked out in five minutes. And, and so of course then I'd had to rush in and do the booming and of course no experience and you know you you have to do it straight away and of course the problem is as soon as you put a boom in you're having to watch for shadows you're having to watch for um you know you're always asking for a, a, a sight line you know you just oh sorry edge of frame edge of frame is always the thing you're asking for because you want to know how far you can dip that boom mic in before it's into the shot because if it gets into the shot you hear cut and you know you have to start again as i say it was a pressure cooker of a shoot and so yeah i you know and i so we were doing long takes and my arms were killing me <laughs> you know because you gotta remember that there's a lot of um you have to sort of rehearse and try and get in the position especially if people are moving around you have to sort of move the boom as well. And so you've got your arms up in the air doing all this rehearsing. And then and then suddenly you're into the take and you've got to do it for real. And it, the, I think the shot was maybe a minute or two, but it felt forever. It felt so long doing it. And my arms started shaking because it just the, the length of this boom and I wasn't holding it properly. And, you know, things that you learn later on from having to do it other times when the, you don't have this pressure, but when you're under pressure, fuck me, you can't, you know, it's so hard to do anything. Absolutely. And of course me, me and this DOP had a falling out when it came to this one shot. This, I think this was like the second or third day on the shoot. We are in this um, boxing club in on Harrow road. It's a church that's been converted into, you know, into a boxing club. And, um, we've only got a certain amount of time in there. And of course we're already behind schedule and they want to do this, um, uh, steady cam shot following the main characters into this room and walking around and stuff. No radio mics. We're having to boom it. Of course, everywhere we went, cause there was me and there was another, um, uh, boom operator that they had for a couple of days yeah. and he'd come in as well to sort of help out. Cause I think already, they didn't like what I was doing because yeah, me and he ended up shouting at me because we couldn't go anywhere where we weren't in shot. Yeah. <laughs> Literally this steady cam shot was a 360 degrees shot and there's, there was no hiding. And, uh, and of course it was my fault. Everything was my fault because they were behind schedule and they couldn't get the shot done because I was in the way. And it had nothing to do with this therapy. And it was my first lesson that if you're at the bottom rung of the, the crew, you're the, you're the fuck up, not anybody else, you. Because they can get rid of you. Can't get rid of the DOP. <laughs> get rid of you. So, uh, yeah, I actually got uh, fired. Wow. 
yeah, I got fired from that one. And um, I mean, it is a very hierarchical yeah. system. You know, you know the yeah. Uh, yeah. a film set, and uh, you know, as I, as I say to, as I used to when I was teaching, explain that um, you, you know, even though the technology and and um, if you like the way we capture things and whatever has changed, uh, the actual process, whether it be film, television, or video production. Um, and the way it runs is essentially the same as it's been for, you know, over 100 years now. Um, it, it's it's a, a process that works. It's, it's, it's a best practice. And, um, yeah, it's, it, you're absolutely right. It's, it's in, some, in some respects, quite antiquated and quite sort of militant in, in, its, in its structure. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it can be. I mean, back in 98, everything was being shot on film. It was either 16 mil or 35 mil. Yeah. Because mini DV hadn't come along and people weren't really fi- filming on beta cam. Uh, so you're either shooting 35 or 60. And a lot of these shoots were like film schools. So, you know, they've already paid the money for this stuff. And um, so, yeah, you, you had to have that rigid hierarchy because that was just the way. Uh, shooting with film works because uh, you have the DOP who also can be a camera operator or there's a camera operator. You have to have a focus puller and you have to have a a clapper loader because there's so much they have to do around those cameras because they're big, they're modular, they have lots of kit that needs to be taken care of. Yeah. Which, you know, when you're shooting mini DV, you just have the camera and some tapes and off you go. I remember uh, working on some short films where a DOP who had only worked on film suddenly was given a mini DV camera to shoot on and they were perplexed by these tapes. I I remember seeing one. She was looking at how she was trying to take the back off and trying to sort of see if she could weave the the tape around the heads. (laughs) Excellent. Because that's what they do with film. Yeah, yeah. You know? (laughs) And... uh, yeah, I was, it was so funny to sort of see that change because I got it because, you know, VHS, you know, it was literally like shooting with mini versions of, of VHS. So it was it was funny to watch some of these guys who came off film doing mini DV and suddenly it's like, you know, because there's, there's no way I could have been a camera operator if it wasn't for sort of being able to shoot on mini DV and other sort of tape formats, because you had to work your way up to that. You had to be the clapper loader. You had to have spent time loading mags of film. And then you had to become the focus puller and, you know, the guy with the massive bag full of tapes and kits and, (laughs) and measuring tapes and pens and all kinds of stuff, you know, just so you can get your marks on the, on the, you know, for the, the follow focus and all that stuff. And you had to be really technically minded because if it broke down, you had to sort of be able to fix the camera on the go. And then from that, you would then go to be a camera operator or DOP. But uh, with mini DV, you could become, you become a DOP straight away. You didn't have to become, you didn't have to go through all those steps. Yeah. I mean, this, this is the, this is the, one of the problems uh, or, or I, uh, it shouldn't be a problem, I suppose, but I look at it as a problem sometimes out there with, with uh, obviously the generation we've got now are the, um, are the uh, digital video generation, and um, you, you, you know you get 
you do get some people that 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 will market themselves as, as a as a DOP when really they're more of a sort of cameraman type person. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, to me, a DOP is absolutely somebody that understands cinematographers, somebody that understands lighting, understands color temperatures, refraction, absorption, all of that sort of thing, um, as well as ratios and rules of thirds and lenses and all that stuff. So it, it, it's kind of, yeah, it, it's kind of, you, you know, sometimes difficult to find the the old school unless you're going really high-end professional, you know, movies or whatever, but to, to, to find the real sort of old-school filmmakers that understand, you know, all of that when it comes to lighting and exposure and, and, and those sort of things, whereas a lot of people are more technical and more of a sort of camera operator, um, you know, digital videographer, which is a it's, it is there's a lot of the same principles but it is also slightly different because you know we're not talking about a chemical process and um yeah you know it's it's kind of i'm not saying that's necessarily a problem i'm just saying that i've i've noticed you, you know a, a sort of change in attitude i suppose re- regarding that yes and no i mean i i listened to a a podcast where it was uh, bafta interviewing interviewing uh, dick pope Oh, fabulous! Yeah, uh, Mike Lee's cinematographer, and he learned on the job. He was uh, he used to do documentary shoots, right? And so he had to learn lighting on the fly. He didn't have the time or money to, you know, to have a crew with him. He literally had to do it himself. So that's the way he learned. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily true. There are, you know, yes, you can you can go to a film school and you can learn all that stuff, but does that make you any better than somebody who learned it on the job and can do it by eye? Yeah, not you know, at all. Not, I mean, not having to think about, um, you know, any sort of math, mathematical equations or, you know, how the light bounces. It's just they put the lights and they they find what works for them. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I have always maintained, and this is as someone who did go to film school, but I've always maintained that that's not the be all and end all at all. In fact, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those it's one of those industries where, you, you know, your, your your qualifications don't really mean, you know, they're they're almost not worth the paper they're written on. It, it it it's it it is the experience and the credentials and what you've gone out there and actually done and 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 you know how creative you are as a person or whatever that that counts so i i absolutely agree with that it's not the uh you, you know film schools are a, a great way um to to sort of learn the nuts and bolts and 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 learn things about the the craft and learn some of the technical aspects and things of that nature but i agree there's so much to be said for actually going out there and doing it and um learning on the job and experimenting with things as, as well so so absolutely you know yourself it's all it's about people you know because uh coming off that first short film um you know i i went into another short film working with uh, a first ad called chris fly mm -hmm. now after the experience of being fired as a boom operator i thought well the next one i'm just going to go on as a runner um, I'm not going to put myself in that position again because I don't feel like I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And it was probably the best decision I ever made because um, I met Chris Fly on a short film called Grandpa, which uh, did quite well. Um, 
it was by a director called Andy Shelley, who um, he did a film later on called Tales about people who actually have tales. And he was also like a music supervisor on a lot of films. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what films they were, but they're very well-known films. And so that was a, that was a really good experience. And um, I remember we had like, we were shooting in the studio so the first day was prep and then two days in the studio shooting and then we had two nights of um of, sh- of filming near um uh what's the tunnel oh um Dartford. <laughs> <laughs> no, no 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 not that far afield um uh, not limehouse what's the other tunnel there uh I don't know. But anyway, carry on. Anyway, <laughs> it was, anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, rubber hide tunnel. Oh, okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, we were filming at this place. It was sort of. It was. Uh, I, I used to be in like an old power station and stuff. They used it for parties. The uh, the people who owned it, they were like some rich kids who said, "Yeah, yeah, we had like this party here and this after show and everything," and it was like a real dump. It was a lot like uh, what Battersea was. Right, yeah, and um, they they were filming the exterior of the the house because a, a fire takes place, and uh, I got to work with this old boy called Roger, who was their uh, fire expert, and of course Roger had worked on all the Indiana Jones films. Oh wow! Okay, so he cool. was yeah he was he was like a really old old boy full of stories, lovely bloke, and he actually let me sort of turn some of the flames on, which. <laughs> wouldn't have let me do (laughs) that's cool you know but yeah it was no it was really great fun to meet him and um and so yeah after that i sort of um chris fly always had me on as his uh runner and that way i met a lot more people and i sort of did a lot of running until um i started sort of camera assisting um i started i actually became a a clapper loader and how i learned this was i just i went down to panavision and you could just go in there and say right i want to learn how to load this camera and they'll give you a mag and roll a film and they just they show you and they let you you know do it to your heart's delight you're in a corner somewhere and you go you're looking around as well going fucking hell i'm in panavision and you see these (laughs) photographs on the walls these black and white prints all these film sets and directors and kit and going one day that's going to be me because <laughs> i mean i always wanted to be a director i mean all this was leading up to me directing my first short film and i just wanted to learn on the job i i i think i heard somewhere that spielberg said that it was for a director should know what every job is on the uh on the set yeah i would agree I bl- with that yeah yeah I believe it was Spielberg who said that, and I, you know, and I, I, that's what I went out to to, to do. And I, as being a runner, you could do that. And um, after making my um, my first short film, I continued to sort of do that for a little while, but it did get to a point where I had to um, I had to stop. And the the problem for me was that um, I started turning up on set with a director's mindset mm-hmm. so um i worked on this uh film that was it was in an old mental asylum out in hertfordshire i mean the creepiest place i've ever been 
and um, I was sort of helping out with the lighting, and I so I was I was the grip because I'd I'd worked on a on a short for the National Film and Television School, where a friend of mine was on it, and he was the gr- uh, the grip, and I helped him sort of set up this uh, dolly track, and it all leveled and everything, and um, and so somebody had heard I'd done that and asked me to do it on this film which I was quite happy to do but all the time I was there I just kept thinking why are we here why are we not in London uh, why why are we only using this bit of the building when we had this amazing building we could use you know my my director's head was on and it was just I just couldn't be on a film set like that you you don't need somebody like that on a film set I, I wasn't going up to the director and saying this stuff because I had learnt by that point that you don't. Um, yeah, you knew set etiquette, which is very important. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I was the guy who would go up to the director and say, oh, i just seen this great shot. Look at this mirror. See, you could get a shot of him coming through and just reflected on this mirror. It'd be great. And they're just, you know, they just look at you, and, you know, the good ones say, yeah, yeah, that's that. That's that's a great idea. Never use it, and other people go, "What the fuck are you doing? Go back to your job." Yeah, yeah. And um, yes, but I I had done that. I'd been that guy. But I I've also I've been on set where I've seen other directors have to handle with that, and I've actually sort of gone in and say, "Look, they they've got a vision. They know that they they've got an idea of what they're doing. So just let them be. Let them do it. You you know you have these great ideas. Save them for your film." Because you know, you when it, when you're doing your film, you'll appreciate that you you know that you're doing it and not having to listen to other people's uh, opinions when it's not needed. Yeah, well, you you definitely. I mean, you yeah. definitely can't have that on a a film set, and that's what I've noticed again. A lot of more inexperienced people they 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 turn it. You turn up on set, and it turns into a committee, and you can't. And you like, oh, yes. you can't have this or a it's debate. Like, you know, not how. You, it's just not how it works it's not how you do it and uh yeah no i i understand exactly what you're saying <laughs> so once you finished um your film course uh what did you do after then yeah um all right well i mean you know one of the reasons i sort of listened back is as i'm trying to make sure i'm not sort of being repetitive in terms of in terms of what i've done and what happened i mean um you know i talked about obviously the the valencia film program um that I was part of and sort of how, you know, Ralph used to run that. Um, what actually happened was as a sort of precursor to doing that course, um, you had to do uh, a year of theater production first. Okay. Um, simply because they felt that, uh, you know, even, even though it's, it's like a sort of distant cousin or whatever to film, whereas TV is like a sort of, uh, you know, close younger sibling or whatever. Um, you, you, you know, there are still a lot of of, of practices um, that, that, that that sort of cross over. So, I had to get involved on a technical and a behind the scenes um, side of things on on quite a few theatre productions. And one of the things that the college had that was very good was it did have its own performing arts centre, and. Um, I actually, you know, I worked there part time as well because it was a way of earning some money legally because you could work on campus. It was just outside of campus that I wasn't allowed to work 
under the student visa that I was on. So, um, oh, okay. so I got quite a bit of experience. Um, and it was only, it was only things just like, you know, obviously it's different, but it was, it was like lighting and sound and, you know, building sets and, uh, um, you, you know, those sort of things, sort of what they call technical theater production. And um, while you were doing that, you also had um, classes that would be like sort of intro to film where you just sort of look, look at film and, and look at film history and genre and, and discuss how films are made and things of that nature, which sort of got you ready for the, for the film program, which was obviously you had sound class, you had lighting grip class, you had camera class, et cetera, et cetera. And essentially then you made up uh, crews on, on productions that came in. And I think I explained how that worked in, in the last um, one. But what I also did in, in my first year there when I was, um, when I was uh, in the theatre program or the theatre year of it, I did volunteer to be a runner on the the second year film program so i would just go as a volunteer and, and work as a runner on on productions that they were doing and also i got involved with the university of central florida this is where the blair witch guys were um at working on some of their uh you know films as well so you know in the first year i got quite a bit of it on-set experience to sort of see you know how a set ran who 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 did what you know and what the various jobs were so that, that by the time um you know the film program came uh, i'd already clocked quite a lot of you know film hours if you like i have to say i i i, I had the same experience as you because my first year working in in the industry was a load of student shoots and I did it for all the sort of the big uh, film schools in London. So I did the uh, London Film School. I did the National uh, Film and Television School, which yeah. I personally thought was much better than the London Film School. And, uh, you know, a few of the colleges and stuff. Well, they shoot on film, don't they? They all shot on film. That wasn't, not, that wasn't the problem. I think uh, for me, the differences were the... Um, their approach to it. So um, with the National Film and Television School, you were treated a lot better, um, you know, actually catering, <laughs> actually proper catering. Yeah. Well, London Film School, they you got sandwiches. I mean, I, I actually developed a love for peanut butter off a, <laughs> quite a few of these London film shoots, London <laughs> Film School shoots that I was on because the only thing they had on offer was, you know, mangy, sandwiches that they got from the Pret-a-Manger. I mean, just really did not know how to treat people properly. Right, yeah. And, yeah, and those, those, and the other difference was on the London Film School ones, you got a lot of that committee discussing stuff there on the set, wasting time, while the National Film and Television School ones, they were to the point they got things done and the experience was a lot better. So, but yeah, I mean, I learned so much within that first year just running. And I feel that's a lot of people are missing out on that now because instead of it's like spending a year running on other people's film sets, they go, they jump straight in, they become a director or a camera operator and uh, they don't work on other people's shoots. So they have no idea what it feels like to be a crew member for one and how, what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. 
So for me personally, trying to get a runner these days is so hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, what what I what I found was, um, you know, by the time I came into the film program, uh, I, I I mean, throughout that time, apart from hair, makeup, and wardrobe, I worked on every department on the film set at least once. Yeah, whether it be a feature or or a, or a short film. And did pretty much every job within that department um, at, at least once. So, you, you know, from, from from a sound perspective, you know, I, I as you, this is why I was sort of feeling your pain in your story earlier. Yes, <laughs> I've indeed been a boom operator. I've been a sound recordist. Um, I've I've done dolly grip. Uh, you know, I've worked on the lighting teams in camera. I, I've I've loaded and clapped uh you know god knows how many times um i've i've focus pulled a little bit that's kind of quite a scary and skilled job to do that it is um not something i've ever felt particularly comfortable with and i even operated a couple of times well this is the other thing people don't know because they haven't done with film is how scary those kind of jobs were because if you fucked up oh yeah it was a massive expense because you fuck up on a on a digital shoot you just go again yeah you fuck up on on film that's a that's film gone through the gate that's money gone through the gate that's been wasted and also you don't even notice till the next day because obviously when you when you film something it has to you know get shipped off and processed and um uh, you, you know, you don't know right away whether it was in focus or not, unless you've got, you know, an operator who's really on his game and, and, and yeah. you know, is great that's through, right. the, through the eyepiece. And this is why it was very easy to get focus pullers for student shoots, because the wisdom was that if you fucked up on a student shoot, nobody's going to see it. If you fuck up on a feature film or a TV show or anything like that, you're fired. Yeah. And you get a bad reputation. Yeah. That's what you live by is by your reputation. So that's why it used to be very easy to get these technical people to come and do student shoots because it's where they came to practice. Uh, Student shoots is where clapper loaders would go to be focus pullers because they knew if they fucked up, you know, nobody said because a lot of these films never got finished. I, I mean, I'm looking at my CV now and, I think I might have, at that first year I only saw a handful of the films actually finished. A lot of them never saw. I don't know if oh, they finished or not. Yeah, don't get me started. I was, there's hundreds of film productions that yeah never 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 uh, came out of the can in some cases, and you think what the fuck, you know. So uh, I hear you on that one. Um, I mean, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that that you know really annoys me, you know, when I see people on set nowadays again it's a simple thing but it's very important to get right is people aren't shown and don't know how to board properly you know what i mean and it's like it really it really you know it's almost like they don't really understand what the job is and uh you know that always that always winds me up slightly um i guess i guess with video and stuff it's less taught now but uh, um you, you know very important job it's more important now than it ever was because uh, it's this weird thing that's happened because when mini DV came along, sound was being recorded into the camera. So you had sync sound. So you didn't really need a clapperboard. But now we have uh, these digital SLRs. Yeah, you're back to old school slating. Yeah. You are. Because it's. I feel like it's 
it's like working with film again. It is, yeah. Um, especially the fact that you're you're using using sort of having like lots of lenses and different batteries, and you having to change the card out every fifteen minutes, which is about the running time of a big mag of film. Yeah, I think I think actually we talked about this when you interviewed me for um, Driven Insane when we first met, and uh, you, you know absolutely we we discussed that and uh i agree entirely it's almost like now a a a card that you re- you you know you capture onto has sort of replaced a film reel as it were but it's it's sort of a very similar process only you've got a dit now instead of a you know a, a clap a loader as such but in terms yeah. of the discipline it's it's very similar yeah it's very important um I remember what happened on the Clive's film where one of the cards uh, wasn't, you know, exported onto the computer and we lost that footage. Oh, dear. Yes. Yeah. And, and heartbreaking. You no, know, it was. We had to go back and reshoot it. Yeah. And it's and, never quite uh, the same, is yeah. it? It's never quite the same. This is the thing. Uh, no, but I, it, you, you watching the film, you never know. No, you no, no. Know. I think the film is so, fantastic. Yeah. I've, 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 I've yeah. been lucky. We're, we're talking about Out of Hours, which yes. uh, I won. Uh, an award for cinematography, <laughs> which I always find quite amusing because um, I used natural lighting uh, for that film. I used the, the lighting that was there. And so I think a lot of the other people who were up for it, they actually had lit their film. So, <laughs> well, you know, if the people yeah. thought it, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's like everything. It's not supposed to be noticed. It's supposed to just work, isn't it? So, um, yeah. y- you know, but I mean, back back to the, uh, the, the the sort of experience on set. The thing that I tended to get picked for the most, and I don't know whether this was because I was the Brit or or, or what, but um, I, I I had a lot of experience working, you know, both on shorts and features as a first AD. It, it seemed that um, you, you, you know, my my personality, as it was, was kind of suited to sort of getting things done and and trying to be as productive as possible, you know, and in, in, in people management and, and things of that nature. So, um, you, you know, I did quite a bit of, of, of first firsting. Um, I actually did first for a, a feature film before even starting the film program, which was um, shot by the guys at University of Florida. Um, and it was called, um, well, it, it was originally called The Falkland Man. Uh, but I right. think it may have been released under a different title. Um, but it was a it was a uh, it was a feature that um, we'd originally shot a trailer for it using old thirty five mil short ends um, okay. that were left over, and we, they basically they did the whole let's film a trailer and use the trailer to get the finance to make the feature. And of course, um, I th- I think. People don't know what short ends are. Oh, sorry. Um, bits that are left over of the end of a reel of film that aren't necessarily, you know, a magazine might get changed before you get to the very end. So therefore, there's there's a short piece of unexposed film. And often I, I, I used to get things made that way by sort of beg stealing and borrowing um, short ends that were still in the fridge. And uh <laughs> and using them and you may only be able to get like sort of one take or about half a minute of, of footage but often especially if you use shooting a trailer or something it was off often a uh, effective and efficient way to uh to, to to 
to get film, which obviously was a very expensive medium at the time. Um, yeah, to, to make you used something. to be able to go to advertising companies and production companies and just bring it up and say, do you have any short ends? Yeah. And they were more unlikely just let you have it for free because they were just taking up space in their their fridges exactly for a lot of people it's worthless you know so but but for a student it was gold <laughs> exactly there was so many so many short films and i think i'm i'm right in saying that i think there was a feature film that was shot entirely on short ends. oh it wouldn't surprise me would not yeah. surprise me I, yeah what it was i don't know but I, I do remember this a story going around at the time that's uh, a low budget feature had been shot just using short ends so, yeah yes that's what short ends are and uh you couldn't get that today. No, no, sadly. But I mean, you know, just just buying the film at the time was very costly. Let alone the 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 process of getting it, you know, um, chemically, you know, processed and color timed and transferred to to tape or whatever. You know, it was a very very long winded, but also a costly um, process. So so yeah. So essentially, um, we, we we did that and. Uh, um, it was a it was a project that I got bought onto um, by one of the guys in the class who was quite enterprising and you know fancied himself as a, a producer and was actually sort of quite good at getting stuff done and you know he originally sort of invited me to uh, to come and help on the film or on the on the trailer and what happened was um, you know <laughs> this was my first witness of this uh, an ad that 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 you know threw a tantrum and got in a big argument and walked off set and they yeah. needed somebody to basically take over and i got asked very nicely by the producer keith um would you mind you know taking the ball by the horns as it were and giving this a go and i, I knew basically that my job was to be you know communicate things but you know get us on track and and make sure the director had what he needed to get what he had to get done within the the, the time scale and the limitations that we had. And uh, I kind of stepped into it and, um, uh, you know, I found it, it wasn't what I wanted to do by any stretch of the, the imagination, but at the same time, I found that it was a very good position to learn what went on and to see, to work with the director and the actors and the DOP and the sound guy and everybody involved in this, this, this process that all has to sort of, work together to create this movie magic so um you know stressful as it was it was really good <laughs> this is the thing Keith. yes um there is a misconception about what a first ad does now what happened to me is i went up for a feature film once to direct and i didn't get it um i think they actually made a very sound choice they went with a guy who had an effects background to be their director because they had a lot of effects but not much money okay so that uh, wise choice. Okay. Uh, but they turn around to me and they say, could you be the first AD? And I laughed. And the reason why I laughed is because, because I'm a director doesn't mean I'm a first AD. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> People have no idea what a first AD is. A first AD is, I would say he is, um, or she, <laughs> or she, they, they, <laughs> They're the foreman of the set. Definitely. They're the people who make sure that it starts on time, it finishes on time, that everything's in the correct position that it should be. If there's got to be props there, they're there. If there's, uh, you know, costumes, it's got to be there. You know, that everybody, turn, you know, that 
everybody's up and running, that makeup is uh, not taking too much time, um, that the actors are, are prepared and on set. And it is just, it's all about management of the set yeah. and making sure that everything is running like clockwork. Absolutely. You are the hub of the production on set and you are absolutely the the communicator um you know between the the creatives and the artists and the and the, the and the crew and um yeah you are absolutely there to try and orchestrate as best as possible this 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 chaos <laughs> um you, you, you know and make it work and, and and more importantly make sure that things run on time um as well and uh, you you do have to you know it's it's a tough job you have to sort of rule the set with an iron fist to a certain extent because um you, you know you are responsible for keeping it on time it's not sadly it's not a creative position it it is a it is a people management position more than anything and uh you, you know as i said i i i definitely wouldn't want to do it as a living but i did it quite often and um you know good and bad experiences doing it um but i i learned an incredible amount about filmmaking uh from adopting that position and you know trying to trying to do it properly and i and i was very lucky because at the at the at the time that i was brought into this uh production for the for the feature that they did um some of them were working on From the Earth to the Moon, um, which was being shot okay. at uh, MGM Studios. That was the uh, Tom Hanks miniseries. It's the Tom Hanks produced miniseries, yeah, that was um, sort of a, 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 a um, well, it sort of followed on from, you know, obviously they'd done Apollo 13 and whatever. And, and, and this was the this was kind of late 90s. Um, uh, and it was a, a miniseries for HBO that kind of almost like sort of started that that sort of trend of of quality um, HBO programming, which obviously continues to this day. Um, but I was lucky enough because I, some of them worked on that, and they managed to get me on set for a day to um, to shadow not only the director who was who was Jonathan Mustow, who um, had oh, done wow. Breakdown uh, at the time, and was producing the game and 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 obviously then went on to do you know u571 and terminator rise of the machines and so on and so forth um and uh so i got to to sort of hang out and sit with him but i also got to see how the first ad on that controlled the set and how the the various crews and the dop and everybody worked together so um i mean i only did it for about a week but it was a, it was a very um valuable uh experience for me to to be fortunate enough to be in that position and be allowed on set and to uh and and to basically chat and I, it was weird because i was a massive fan of, of of breakdown at the time so of course i was i was quite geeked <laughs> out to be um to be sat in the chair next to uh jonathan musto and, and getting to chat with him and whatever so it's pretty cool and then of course you know you had some there were some well-known actors in that as well so um, so yeah, you know, I, I got a bit of experience on on a big production there, and, and sort of got Can to see how that worked. Yes, you may. <laughs> um, um, what was the first AD like on that set? Well, um, it was interesting because 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 my memory of that um, 
was that the, the first AD was a little bit of a shouter, uh, particularly uh-huh. this that particular week. And in fact, I, it's terrible. I should look it up. I guess I, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. But um, uh, yeah, he he wasn't. I mean, it was you know he got the job done and it it was done well. But um, you know, I had since been on uh, other sets, like for example, I mentioned working with David Nutter on on disturbing behavior and um you, you you know on that set it was much more of a a well-oiled machine and it was much calmer and um you, you know and, and and i've done both ends of the spectrum in my own work i mean you you, you know it took me i was fairly ch- chilled and, and laid back on a lot of things but it depended on the personality of the of the director i mean i worked with some directors that would just turn up and have absolutely no idea what they were doing and it would it would make me you know quite angry frankly because i'd think you know you've got this wonderful opportunity to direct i'm i'm very jealous that you you know that they're doing that i was quite envious but at the same time you know that they, they they didn't seem to have a fucking clue what they were doing and you know they hadn't like um, they hadn't visited or recceed the location. They hadn't come to set with a shot list or, or anything. And I was, you know, like very early on on that shoot saying, look, you know, I'm here to help you, but I can't really help you unless you help me. You, you know, I'll get these people working, but you have to sort of give me some idea of what you're looking to achieve and and not just you know, fucking make it up as you go along, frankly. So, I mean, you, you, you know, the experiences, they, they, they were varied. And, um, you, you, you know, I guess, I guess my, my results as a first AD were, were, were varied, um, as, as well. But, uh, but, you know, I don't regret any of it in terms of, you know, there are times I think, oh God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't act like that now. And I was a bit of a dick then or whatever, but, at the same time it's all part of the learning process and and learning this unnatural process which is filmmaking you know it's 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 you know it's crazy in in many respects but it's also magical and that's why we love it <laughs> well i just want to say i i had my experience the first ad's and it did they either seem to be um very calm and collective and even when faced with a situation like you were faced with, we're actually we're still able to deal with stuff without it becoming like a, a shouting match. Uh, and this is one of the things I loved about working with Chris Fly as a first AD because he had that. He was always prepared. Uh, he was always very calm, collective, very fun to have on set, and he got things done. It was just a shame he had a bit of a hang up that he felt that people weren't respecting him because of his age. It just came down to this film we worked on. Um, I was for this uh, producer who uh, made uh, K two and uh, a Knight's Tale. His son right. was making a making a film. Uh, it was horrible. I thought it was a terrible piece of shit. But there <laughs> you go. And um, but the thing was that uh, he came away from that experience seeing how people reacted to. Uh, his father on on set whenever he turned up everybody was respectful and you know listened to what he said and every and he felt he wasn't getting the same attention so he dropped out of being a first ad he said he wanted to come back to it when he was a bit older so that people would respect him more but i felt people respected him already it was just that shoot that shoot was just it was just you know rich boy pretending to be a filmmaker yeah i'm aware of them (laughs) 
and uh, you know he he should have continued on, but he you know he and he found a paid paying job working for ITV doing all the graphics for Formula. Oh, fantastic! And he's still doing it. He gets to travel with them, and he does the um, all the graphics live. So you know, I hope he's he's happy. Yeah, but. you know, he was great at first AD, and you know, he first AD'd on my first short film, and it was it was just a pleasure to have him. But then I've worked with the guys who look like they're going to have a stroke. Yeah, that everything is just stressful. Everything. Yeah. You know, every simple thing. It's 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 a you know it's just such a big thing. And yeah, it's uh, difficult. Yeah, I worked I worked with one guy, and he he did he looked like he was going to keel over any second because his his. He had a vein in his forehead that just seemed to be pumping all the time. Yeah. It just used to be protruding out of his forehead and just pounding. And you go, bloody hell, he's going to have a stroke or a heart attack any second. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult because, you, you know, there is, there's never enough time. There's never enough money. And it isn't an exact science, you know, filmmaking. It's, yeah. it's very difficult. And you've got, you know people have off days and you've got egos and personalities and, and all sorts of things to deal with. And, um, uh, you, you know, and, and it's, it, it, you know, you're, you're there to serve a certain function. And sometimes, you, you know, if, if makeup are taking ages, you sometimes have to give them the hard, the hard news and say, look, you know, sorry, but you've got like five minutes. And if, and if it's not done then, then we, we've got to go. You know, um, so, you know, it's definitely not a job for everyone. And um, as I said, I, I I wouldn't particularly want to do it again. However, um, I, I think it's made me a better filmmaker as a result of, of having done that job. And, you know, that thing you were saying back to the sort of Spielberg quote or whatever about, you know, understanding what everybody's role is on a film set. You, you know, being a first AD, you have to know what everybody's job is. You know, it's imperative um, to what yeah, you're doing because you need you need to know if uh, if somebody says, "Oh, well, this is going to take half an hour," that that they actually know you know that it's going to take half an hour and it's not. Bullshit. Yeah, I mean, everybody everybody says less than it's going to take anyway. That's the frigging yeah. you know they're the opposite of Scotty on Star Trek. You know, they they <laughs> do the opposite arithmetic or whatever. But um, you, 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 you know, it, it's never. I mean, it's not. You know, filmmaking is not an easy thing at all. No. And um, no, especially low budget filmmaking because yeah. you you really. Uh, don't have much time. I, All resources, you know, you have fewer yeah, people I, or whatever. I, but yeah, I haven't done much in the way of first aiding. Um, I nearly did on a uh, a trailer for a fe- feature film that was trying to get made um, two years ago, but um, their camera assistant dropped out, and because I could do that, I sort of volunteered my uh, services, and uh, Clive Ashenden stepped in as first aid. Right, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, yeah, I did sort of micromanage him a little bit on that, and I shouldn't have done. But it was because I, because I'd been there at the meetings previously, and sort of I was all prepared for sort of my first ADing role. That um, you know, Clive stepped in last minute to do it, and so I just I felt like I was helping him, and probably I wasn't, but <laughs> I just felt the need to to help. It's difficult. You put yeah. You put 10 directors in a room to direct a scene and you'll get a scene directed 10 different ways. I mean, you, you know, that's that's the nature of it. And and, um, you, you know, basically it has to be one person's vision and that has to be 
respected and um you know the 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 first ad's job is is absolutely there to to assist them in achieving that whether whether or not you agree with what they're doing or not it's completely irrelevant basically it's it's you're just there to get it done you know (laughs) and and the only the only sort of creative suggestions you can make are ones that are going to save you time more than anything um you, you know i i have i have subtly said as a first ad before which you know i don't know whether it's overstepping the mark or not but i have sometimes questioned do you actually need that shot you know if we've been a bit behind time or whatever and often directors have looked through their shot list if they have them and they have and i've done it as a director i've thought to myself you know what i actually don't need that or I can join this shot with this shot and it will save us time or, or whatever, you know, and, and you have to, I know as a filmmaker now, I, I very much have that um, frame of mind and mindset and I'm mindful of it when I'm on set, which I actually think is a good thing. I've been on the receiving end where I've had that advice and I followed it and it turned out I did need. Oh, shot. well, I mean, you've got it. Absolutely. You have to, you have to, uh, at the end of the day, what the director says then is, is, you know, the, the, the bottom line, but, um, but yeah, you know, um, I've, I certainly had more fun working say in the camera department or the grip department or whatever, but, um, uh, you, you know, because it's a, it's a lot less pressure in terms of that sort of thing. It is. Um, I did, I sort of uh, before making my first short film, I did. I was gravitating towards the camera department and the lighting department as mm-hmm. well. So um, I was really on a path to be a DOP. Right, <laughs> I really was because I was I was with the camera department and the lighting guys, and I was sort of working within those two worlds because they're you know they are different but the same at the same time. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, but. I've, the thing for me was I hated the loading, really hated the loading because um, that is like one of the loneliest roles on the <laughs> film set. Yeah, it's true. When everybody else is having lunch, you're usually changing reels. Yeah, you're either in a bag or a dark room, one or the other. But yeah, no, I I, I hear you. And, and you know, again, if you're going to do it properly, there's quite a bit of paperwork involved with that as well. Oh, which, um, yes. Yeah. Lots which of I was quite sort of Got meticulous about. But um uh, and again, I get annoyed when people aren't with that sort of thing. You think, you know, if you're going to do the job, take it seriously and do it properly. But, um, you, you, you know, but uh, hey-ho, you know, <laughs> like I said, it's not perfect by any means. Um, so, yeah. Well, I think that's a good point to, to end on. Indeed. <laughs> Though I just want to sort of uh, just say that um, it's be careful of how you treat people below you because you never know where they're going to oh, end absolutely. up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I say this because that DOP on the first uh, short film, he applied for a role as DOP in my feature film. He clearly didn't know who I was. I remembered him. He didn't get that job. Yeah, unfortunately, people people remember the... Uh... <laughs> often remember the shit more than they do the good stuff and yeah you only have to sort of soil a patch once and it can it can haunt you forever can't it so um yeah it does and it and well i i don't know if it affected this guy or not end of the day i don't care because you know he treated me badly and would i want to work with a guy who did that to me no so you know just be you know treat people yeah 
treat yourself yeah. and as well ralph would say and and, <laughs> and treat other people too i mean the the, the thing is we're all That's supposed it. to be doing this because we enjoy it and we love it and we're passionate about it and um you know it doesn't need to necessarily turn into a a, a falling out um stress fest although um you know that can easily can happen be. yeah it can it can <laughs> it easily can. happen particularly you know when you're talking about money and time and creativity and 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 egos and you know things of that nature it's 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 a it it's it's definitely a, a bizarre beast and a uh you know kind of an alternative lifestyle well i think uh for our next podcast extra uh i'm going to get into uh a feature film that went really badly uh which uh, I shall call the Ballad of Cold Fish. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I said I just need to make sure we're all, we do this fairly linear, and I don't end up frigging repeating myself. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think I think I think we did okay on this, considering it's off the cuff. So yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So Keith, how can people find you? Okay, work? if people want to see my work, uh, there is a um, uh, YouTube page, British Isles. Uh, E-Y-L-E-S, and it's kind of a little throwback to when I worked in the States, it was British Isles Productions because I was the Brit and my surname was Isles. So, um, you know, it was the British Isles Productions and uh, it was a little in-joke, so I've decided to use it as my moniker over here as well. And uh, also there's a direct link to uh, Keith's YouTube page in the description for this podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Right, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com or uh, if you search on YouTube for Independent Runnings, you'll find my work that way. Also, you'll find uh, uh, episodes of our podcast on there. So um, if you're not listening via iTunes, do check it out there. And uh, we have a Twitter page, which is at Movie Heaven Hell, which you can uh, follow us on there and find out. Um, we always give hints to what our next director is going to be. And also we do stuff like um, throw up like the trailers from the films we talk about. And you can also see that same stuff on our Facebook page, which is uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, if you just search for that on Facebook and give us a like. So uh, thank you, Keith. Thank you, Simon. Join us for our next episode, which will be F. Oh. Who could it be? Who could it be? See you then. Take care.